Hey there, Greybeardians. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Cybersecurity Graybeard, the podcast that helps students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Make sure to email questions, comments, and episode recommendations to cybergraybeard at gmail.com. In this episode, which is a little bit different than usual, I'm going to go ahead and discuss an online scam that hit me directly, personally, in great depth and detail. Knowledge shared empowers the community, and I want everyone to understand what's happening out there regarding online social engineering attacks. Everyone is susceptible to these cons, and I want to strengthen your defenses. In this episode, I'll go into detail. It's a bit different than usual. The purpose here really is that I believe empowering an organization, empowering a community helps everybody. Before I get started, I do want to mention Josh again. He's my mentee that's going to relocate to Canada and study cybersecurity. I've known and communicated with Josh for quite a while now. We met when I left my last job. He reached out. He was very kind and supportive, understanding my situation and my stance. I want to return the favor by helping him raise money for his relocation. As I've mentioned before, and I'll mention all season long, please visit the Give, Send, Go site and donate just a few dollars. Many have asked me in the past, hey, Greybeard, how can we give you a few bucks? Go buy yourself a cup of coffee. My comment is, don't do that for me. Do it for Josh. Just go to GiveSendGo.com and search for cybersecurity and then select Fund an International Cybersecurity Student or you can simply go to the notes of this episode and click on the link that I put in there. Now back to the story. I own a timeshare. It's in Mexico. It's public knowledge. There's nothing special about the fact that I own a timeshare. For clarity, for those that may not know, timeshares are vacation units where buyers have the right to use or trade their property. You buy a piece of it, usually one week, maybe two weeks a year, of a studio or a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom. A bunch of other people buy a week, you buy a week, and lo and behold, everybody buys it all up, and you share with others either by trading your unit or just letting somebody use it, or you can rent it out. Most of the time, what happens, individuals that own timeshares use a company, either Interval International or a company called RCI, where we deposit the week and then withdraw from somebody else's bank. It's a really nice way to see the world and you have a unit, but you get to travel around. The use and the size vary depending on what was purchased. Again, it could be a small one bedroom, it could be a three bedroom, whatever it is. Not really important for the story, just know that I own one of these timeshares in Mexico. When you buy a timeshare, there's a cost. It's like real estate. You have to pay for it. And there's also annual maintenance fees from hundreds of dollars a year to potentially thousands of dollars a year. Depends, again, where the unit is and the size of the unit. Due to this maintenance fee, over time, a lot of timeshare owners figure they either made a mistake or they outgrew the timeshare and they want to get out of the property. You cannot just walk away. You can't give it back to the resort. You have to sell it yourself. A lot of people don't want to be saddled with the annual fee and so they're just trying to get rid of it. A good example, a few years ago, I actually bought a three-bedroom unit in Florida for $1.00. It was from a retiree. Her husband had passed away. She did not want anything to do with it, just wanted to get out from underneath, and she just wanted to be done. And I knew somebody that knew her. She said $1, signed it over, and I owned it. And then I absorbed that maintenance fee, which was over $500 a year. I owned that in perpetuity until I got rid of that. 
Con artists are very well aware of the situation with timeshares. They know that people bought it and then they may not want it or they age. Or another thing that happens is you buy a one bedroom for you and your spouse and then you need a two bedroom because you have kids and you need to get rid of the one bedroom or the other way around. You have a two or three bedroom, the kids graduate, go to college, move on, and you want to downsize. Con artists know this and because real estate is public knowledge, they're able to go out and find out who owns what and a lot of times they can even find out what you paid for it. There are a large number of resale scams. You can look it up. Just go Google timeshare resale scams and you'll see what I'm talking about. But I want to get into some specifics about what happened to me. I received a phone call, actually a number of calls. Then once I finally picked up the phone to tell them to stop bothering me, and they dropped some quick words to get the interest about, we know you have a timeshare. We already have a buyer gray beard. They want to give you money that's actually over market value. Right away, alarm bells are going off. I'm figuring this is a con, but I wanted to play it out and see what was going on. So he moved from the phone call to email, sent me a letter of intent that I needed to review. My wife and I took to look at it. We said, ah, let's see where this goes. So we went ahead and signed it, and we told them in bright yellow letters, right out of the gate, we will not give you any money up front. We know the way these things work. They're going to want money at some point. Again, they sent out a non-binding letter of intent. What they're doing here is they're getting victims, me in this case, on the hook over days. They contacted me once or twice a day. They have updates. We have a buyer. The buyer has placed money in escrow. They send me paperwork. They ask me for paperwork. Show us Greybeard, all the literature from when you bought it. We need that to do escrow and to do title transfer. They're right. I know all about this. I've bought and sold timeshares. I've bought and sold real estate. Their method is accurate. Their method is real. There is escrow. They're asking for all these things. And then what they also said is, additionally, we're going to have money deposited by the buyer for upfront costs. Red alert. Right away when I heard upfront costs, I'm like, hell no. I told them again, I will not send you money up front. They ignored my comment. Okay, moved on. After the con marinated for a couple of days, a couple of weeks actually in this case, then the bomb drops about to close, we're going to need fees. At that point, I said, I'm done. When they came back and said, hey, we got money. We got more money than market value. They gave us additional money for the upfront costs. They kept calling me. We've got it. Here's the guy's name. Here's his lawyer. I'm doing research. I'm looking these people up. And then right away when they came out and said, hey, we need money up front. We already gave you extra money. They wanted $4,100, but they gave me an extra $10,000. Nope. Red alert. Red alert. Bells are going off. At this point, I knew it was a con and I was done with them. If people did continue down the path, though, at this point, they would be asked to send a cashier's check or wire funds. Never do that. You never send money. That was where I dropped off. And then what would happen in these cases, let's say the victim did send the payments, the thieves would either ghost the victim, and some of these people even have the nerve to state that, oh wait, something else came up, we know you sent us the 4100 for closing costs, but there's a title transfer fee in Mexico for another 1200 you need to send us additional money, boom, you wire them another 1200 and now they ghost you and you're done. In the end, the victim is out the money, they send it away, it's gone, wire, cashier's check, non-refundable, you're done, and oh, by the way, you still own the timeshare. It's a really terrible scam. The whole thing is bad. And it was very interesting as a professional in cybersecurity, writing and speaking about social engineering to go through it. A little bit more about this. Fees vary and it didn't matter. As we're going through this, they were saying, oh, there's closing fees. There's a Mexico excise tax. There's capital gains tax. There's a transcription fee. It really doesn't matter as you're going through this. They'll make up all kinds of things that sound good. 
The fees are how the con makes their money. The con artist, the thief, the robber, the burglar, however you want to look at it, they're scumbags, they are thieves, and that's how they make their money. They trick the property owner into sending money up front ahead of closing. And here's something very important for folks that don't know about real estate. And that's what timeshares are. It's real estate. When you are dealing with real estate fees, they always come out at closing. When I sell a house to somebody, there is money that the seller puts in. It sits in what's called escrow. It's held by a middleman. And then the fees are paid out of that. You don't just send the money to the buyer. In this case, the buyer wouldn't send it to the seller. There's a middleman with escrow. There's nothing done up front. It's all handled at closing. That is another way to figure out and realize that this was a scam. They're trying to lie about the process or change the process. Real estate fees, again, are done at closing. Capital gains tax, why would I ever pay somebody a capital gain tax? That's to the IRS. Right away, again, it's so obvious when a criminal says, hey, we need you to go ahead and pay us your capital gains taxes up front. That's ridiculous. Why would I pay them? That's paid directly to the government. My wife and I knew that this was a scam from the beginning, and we really played it out to see how far they would go. When it was all said and done, I was not kind with the person, and I really yelled at the guy. I'm like, dude, learn to fail fast. When I told you up front I wasn't going to send you any money ahead of time, you should have stopped calling me. And the guy really stuck by it. He's like, no, I'm not a criminal. You can look me up. You can come down here if you want to meet in person. That's another red flag. You never do that. You hear horrible stories about kids that are lured online and they go meet somebody at the park never to be seen again. Same thing here. You never meet these people in person. This was a scam. This was terrible. We took a few steps to verify that it was a scam. Not only did we just know it from common sense, but what we did is I contacted my timeshare agency. The only way that this could have worked is if the timeshare company itself was involved. And not only did the timeshare company say, we're not involved, they confirmed that they never deal with buyers. They only deal with the sellers. All the timeshare company would do was work with me because they know me, and then I would deal with the buyer. In this case, it was just a complete lie. Another thing that we did, we had an address of the company, and we hopped onto Google Maps. And actually, this is my wife's idea. She's also in cybersecurity, if you didn't realize or hadn't known. She works with vulnerability management and uh, vendor operations. She looked up the address on Google Maps, and it was an address in Alabama. And then when you zoom in, the street address that they gave us belonged to a different business than they were. Another red flag. We looked up the con entity. It was a company that they had named. They had a great website, and they were also located in the IRS database for businesses. But that doesn't mean anything. The con artist very well could have stolen that business's name and was using it. It's just the address they used was non-existent. We searched for the entity in, the, uh, in Alabama under their incorporation statuses, and we didn't see anything there. We looked them up in the Better Business Bureau. Again, we found them. There really wasn't much there, and it didn't matter because if the con artists absorbed or stole another company's name, they would just have the reputation of that organization. So that didn't help us either. We did a reverse phone lookup, and we realized the phone number they were using, it was spoofed. And it wasn't even coming from the phone number that was associated with the website. Again, we had to go do some research. I did it in part for this episode. I also did it in part for peace of mind. And I also did it to educate myself on how far these people went. Now, being the cyber guy that I am, I actually went a little bit further. And I went ahead and in the email header, I found the IP address that they used and the name of the computer that the person was coming from. And I was able to identify they were using a hosted web server that they connected to through a VPN. While they were supposed to be based in Alabama, the emails were coming from Phoenix because of their VPN connection. Very unusual. Again, these were things that I did just to further prove out that they were wrong. 
During and after we performed our research, I continued emailing and talking with the individual on the phone until that shoe dropped. It was about day seven. I was told that they increased the price another $10,000 and just needed me to send them that $4,100 up front and I would be reimbursed in a couple of weeks. That was a trigger for me. And when I told them I was walking away, I wasn't polite. And as I said before, I told the guy just to fail fast be done with it. He wouldn't even own up to it. And that's fine. He's a scumbag. And the funny thing is months went by and I still get phone calls from Alabama. I don't answer them. It's the 205 area code. I know exactly what it is. These people switch out con artists. And then the new people that come in don't realize that I already know what's going on. They're not keeping notes. They're just tracking who their latest victim is. Bottom line, I know what's going on and I'm trying to share with you guys to help understand what is going on out there. This is a very specific con. One I've experienced before and I know a lot about. Anything that deals with timeshares, I'm very familiar. There's more cons than good things. It's really not the place to be, especially with Airbnb, VRBO, and other firms like that. Timeshares are going to just be a good thing of the past. If nothing else, what probably will happen and probably is happening, timeshare owners are booking their unit and then they're using Airbnb as a middleman to get the unit out. Bottom line, there have been cons out there. I'm familiar with it. I like the timeshare for what I use it for and how I had it all set up. I won't get into all those details. There were financial benefits. Again, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now, but it's very specific. For my audience, my recommendation, stay away from timeshares entirely. Use Airbnb, VRBO, and others. And I want to get onto a little bit more here about what to watch out for and how to protect yourself. Now, these recommendations are not just for timeshare scams. This is really good for any scam, online, snail mail, over the phone, whatever it is. Here are 12 items to think about. The first one, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. That's a good rule for life. If something seems out of the ordinary, don't trust it. Question it. Think about it. Analyze it. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. While you may have wanted to have won the lottery, no. That ticket somebody just sold you for half the price of the winnings is worthless. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Number two, never send money in any fashion over the internet to a stranger. Period. No more to be said there. Number three, do not give out personal information, especially social security number, bank account data, or other personal information that's not publicly accessible. I hear all the time when they want to validate my identity. What's your mother's maiden name? What's your address? What's your phone number? What's your birth date? That's all public information, people. Keep that to yourself as best you can, but absolutely never share non-public information. Number four, verify and validate email addresses, physical addresses, phone numbers, names of parties, either on LinkedIn or other social media. Do not take anything at face value. You'll see cons with Google.com, but it's really G-G-O-I-E, and it looks like Google because they used a capital I instead of an L. That's all over the place. That's about Phishing attacks, we all know about that, but realize when you're being scammed for other things, the same activities that are performed on phishing are also used on this. Number five, look for similar cons. When I looked up some of the names provided by here's our lawyer, here's the buyer, here's our company, some of these names actually showed up in a scam database online. And when it was all said and done, I reached out to that database and they contacted me after the fact and said, thank you for all that data. Can you give us more information? And then they added my story to their database to help people in the future. Number six, some alert documents state to be aware of folks that are not reachable or don't want you calling them. And what I mean by that is I live in Colorado and if you go to the Colorado government websites, they talk about scams and cons and they have alert documents. 
they tell you to be aware of folks that are not reachable or don't want you calling them. In my case, the con was hyper-professional, responsive, and easy to reach. He called me. I called him. It was very easy. But if you can't reach them and they only want to be calling you, that's the kind of thing that you need to be aware of. Number seven, validate the email address is correct and aligned with the business they say they are. If they say they're calling from you know, .com, lawyers.com, and the email address is .comlawyers at gmail.com, that's a concern. You need to align the email address with the sender and no Hotmail or Gmail or Outlook or Yahoo.com needs to be a real business address. Even that can be stolen and taken, so take that at face value. Be aware that some cons steal the identity of real organizations and pretend they are part of that business. A story of an example was when a social engineer used the persona of a real estate lawyer that was still alive to trick consumers into believing they were dealing with a real and trustworthy entity. In other words, they went out there, they found Robert Townsend, JD is a lawyer, well, he has all these websites and he has his LinkedIn. The cons became Robert Townsend, JD, and everybody's like, oh yeah, Robert Townsend's real. They weren't Robert Townsend. That's the kind of thing where I'm talking about being aware of the identity could have been stolen. In my story, the business identity was stolen. Again, question anything and everything. Number nine, it is nearly unheard of that things just drop in your inbox. Be overly skeptical. It goes back to number one. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And this number nine, it's unheard of that good things just drop in your inbox. It just doesn't happen. Number 10, bad people exist and prey on the uninformed. We cybersecurity professionals are at the tip of the spear of knowledge, and we need to protect ourselves and our friends and our families. Pay attention, share your knowledge, which is what I'm doing here, and help secure the landscape from these social engineering cyber criminals. Number 11, there is no defense against online con artists other than personal awareness and knowledge. Pay attention, focus, don't fall for something that is too good to be true. And number 12, and the last one, question everything. It's a really crappy way to live. I'm not going to argue. I don't like the fact that I have to be so skeptical, thinking everybody's nefarious. Unfortunately, in the line of work that we're in and with how prevalent con artists are and how easy it is for them to reach folks over the internet or over the phone, even with text nowadays, we need to be skeptical. We need to question everything. We need to protect ourselves, our friends, and our families. And that's why I shared with all of you about the cybersecurity con game. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned something from it. Feel free to reach out anytime, cybergraybeard at gmail.com. Unlike these scam artists that I was just talking about, I am here to help. And there's nothing here nefarious. It's all about helping us learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Have a great day.